We're continuing the conversation with Dwight Mason, the lead pastor for New Point Community Church in Northeast Ohio. My name's Phil Ling. I'm the host of the Giving Leader podcast and also the founder of the Giving Church Consulting Organization. And we're continuing that conversation of leading through crisis and also major ministry in rural or semi-rural areas with Dwight Mason. One of the things that just to pick up on that whole conversation of people that get frustrated with you and 33 years, you know, I was teasing you in between takes that you can't be 33 years without making people mad. Right. I mean, and eventually you do. Our mutual friend, uh, Papa Don Wilson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, out in Arizona. <laughs> uh, who, 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 he, he would be amening everything you're saying. Uh-huh. But he taught me a phrase years ago. He says, you have to be willing to risk the relationship. Absolutely. So it's, it's sometimes I think because <clears throat> pastors are wired for to be loved, then we almost want to protect the relationship more than the vision. Right. Because I don't want them to be mad. I don't want to let this staff person that I'm, that's not doing a very good job. I don't want to have a confrontation because of the relationship versus the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, this is going to sound real spiritual, okay? And, and I don't You've already mean, quoted scripture twice. Yeah, okay, I, come on. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't mean it to be spiritual, but it's how I function. I think you have to come back and ask, whose church is it? Yeah. This is not my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And so I don't, view, I don't believe that you can leave I don't believe you can lead the church until you're willing to leave the church. Hmm. And most people aren't willing to leave the church because it's their baby. It's their, it's something that they hold very, very, very tightly. And I, I think that you have to be willing to leave. And if you're willing to leave, then that positions you to be able to really lead. And so for, for here, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, what you want is people to respect you. Okay. And you have to ask, um, Who's your source? Okay, my source is God. It's not anybody here. And I've got a friend. He's been a friend of mine for 25 years. He's left the church three years. I mean, he's left the church three times. Right. Okay. And probably out of everybody at our place, he's he's made things happen for us. Hmm. And and um, and one time he was leaving, and he told me, he said, Dwight, I just think I'm going to leave. And I said, Okay. I said, I'm your friend. However, I can help you, you know, you let me know and I'm in your corner and I said, if you feel you need to leave, leave. And then I asked him this, but who's going to challenge you? Hmm. I said, nobody has the guts enough to get in your face and I do. And I said, that's why we butt heads. And, and, and he said, well, I never thought of it that way. And I told him, I said, well, you better because somebody better challenge you as a husband, as a father, as a man, and as a leader, because it's a slippery slope out there. And so he left, but he came back within six months. And I think the reason why he came back, not because I caved into him um, or, or any of that, I think that he respected the fact that, okay, here's a guy who um, um, is willing to go toe-to-toe with me, not in an obnoxious, rude or mean way, or sarcastic way. I wasn't sarcastic with him. I wasn't mean with him. I just held my ground. And so he's still here, and he's a vital part. But what happens is uh, I just had a conversation with him three months ago, and and he um, cleaned my clock on something. And and so I, I, um, I came back to him, wrote him a note, 
and told him, I said, I am so sorry that I have frustrated you and, and have failed you. I said, that's never my intention. Would you please forgive me? And, and I said, I want you to know that I'm for you. And um, I can say today, which is about three months later, um, uh, he writes me a text and he says, I want you to know that I am for you. And I thank God that you're leading our church. Wow. And so I, I think what happens is it's, it's having the courage and I think to some degree probably humility of not having to be right but staying engaged in relationships even with those people that you disagree with. Say, so, so if we go down the path on confrontation, rejection, having tough conversations. Yeah. Because I don't believe a lot of us are geared toward that and we have to figure it out. I grew up in a home field. I grew up in a home field that my mom and dad um, never had an argument. Never saw my mom and dad have an argument. Never saw them have conflict. And so, one of the questions that I ask our CPs when we have our time: So, what have you picked up from your mom and dad that's not working well for you? Hmm. And my my dad and and mom are two of the greatest people that's ever walked on planet Earth, but they didn't do conflict. And so here I am, I'm a pastor, and initially I didn't do conflict. I mean, I, I would go to people's houses. I'd cry with them and tell them I'm sorry and, and whatever. And in three months, we're back at the same thing again. And it was just emotionally exhausting. And so I realized that the thing that I picked up from my father, great man, was that he avoided conflict. And I had to to work on that as a skill and, and even in my relationship with Christ of being able to say, you know, I, I need to play for an audience of one. And so that's been a huge journey for me the last 33 years. Okay. So where I want to go is I know in your story that eventually you had to have a big boy conversation with your denomination. Yeah. And in my paraphrase, and I, I'll, 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 I'll sketch it out and then you, you make it real, mm -hmm. is New Point had grown to the point where you were part of a small denomination and predominantly of small churches. Right. And it didn't always work for you. Right. As far as finances, passing dollars along to denomination, where they go, those kind of things, and what percentages come from New Point just because of sheer size. Right. And so you have a, it, it comes to a point where you have a hard conversation. So tell me, and I, and you've been always, every time we've ever talked about this, you're very gracious and you never throw rocks at the denomination, but tell me about the lead up in that, in that meeting. Yeah. Well, you know, what happened, I, I, I had been, um, uh, you know, trying to talk to them because we were growing and we were the largest church in the denomination eventually became probably the, the next size was half our size. Right. And so I had talked to him, and, and I decided not to be engaged. And so I just said, you know what, I'm going to go do my own thing, leave them alone, whatever. And I would whine and complain to my wife, and, and, and she would say, well, you need to get back engaged because you can't, you can't influence them. You can't do anything unless you're engaged. Um, and so what happened is I went to my superintendent, which was the guy who was over me. And, and I told him, I said, how can I help you? And, and so started getting back engaged and I would meet with a group of, of pastors once a month. 
and we would talk about our conference, we'd talk about our church, we'd talk about how we could do things. And, and so I, I started doing that, hoping that I could influence them, that we could influence the denomination and be able to do that. Well, it just didn't happen. And I did that probably for a decade. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I shared with our superintendent, I said, you know what, I'm trying to work here. You know, I love the Free Methodist Church. Um, I, I want to be able to, to, to uh, stay within them. But you know, I, I can't continue. You know, I was told whenever I, I would share my complaint, well, it seems like you're pretty good at raising money. Just continue to raise money. And I said, it didn't work that way. <laughs> and and so, you know, we, we were going down this path. I had a meeting with the bishops, had a meeting with the leaders, thought we were making some progress. Um, but ultimately it came back and said, hey, you know what? We just believe that, that we can't give special favors to anyone. And my belief was you don't treat, I, don't, I said, I have four kids. I don't treat them all the same because they're all at different levels. I love them all the same, but I don't treat them all the same. And, and so, you know, they drew a line in the sand. And, and so I, I, I told my superintendent, I said, um, we're leaving. I said, we'll either be an associate or, or we're completely leaving. And so the word got out. And so we ended up having a, uh, a meeting and the bishops came and the COO came and, you know, chief uh, financial officer and all of them came. And, and you know, I, I shared with my bishop and he's a great guy. I said, hey, I said, you know, you need to understand um, we're not staying. We're either going to be associate or, or we're leaving. And so we came and, and, and they started talking and, and um, they, you know, they said, well, we, we would like for you to reconsider. And I said, no, I said, there's really two options. We're either going to completely separate or we can be an associate. And, and um, the, the president of the, the board said, well, well we want to offer you something. And, and uh, you can have everything, website, name, building, because we didn't own any of that. Right. Uh, for $2 million dollars. And I said, so, so just get it clear. Yeah. They're going to sell you what you raised money to buy. Right. But you have a mortgage like people have. Right. And because of the structure of the denomination, they had a legal right yeah. to the name or, or whatever. All right. right. So for, for $2 million, yeah. um, we'll let you go. And I told them no. <laughs> I, I, I said, you can have everything. I said, I'm not here to win. I said, I don't own any of it. I'm a steward. And I said, if you want it all, you can have it all. And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, just exactly what I said. I said, you can have it all. And I think it shocked them uh, uh, because I think that they were ready for a fight and I didn't want to fight. And I, I told them, I said, we're not a building, we're a movement. And I said, you know, I've already contacted some schools I said, we can move into the schools. And so what ended up happening is they said, well, why don't we break and pray? And I said, I don't need to pray. <laughs> I said, I said, I've prayed before I came. I said, I'm assuming that you guys have prayed before you came. And if, if, if the, if the deal is $2 million, then hold to it. Right. But I'm not, we're not in for that. And he said, well, let's take a break anyways. And I said, okay. So we took a break and we came back and, and, and they said, um, you know, we've decided that this is not a national decision, that really it should be a, a, a state decision. 
And so we're going to allow the Ohio Conference to um, make the decision. And so um, the superintendent was in the room, and he was about four seats down from me. And um, they said, so we're going to let them. And he just said, Dwight, we will give it to you for a dollar. <laughs> and, 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 and so we ended up, we ended up receiving everything. And, and, you know, I stayed with the conference for a year. We paid all of our assessments for a year because I didn't want to leave them hanging. Right. And so, and, and, and before that, we did everything that the denomination asked of us. So to me, you know, I, I, I was, because I believe if you're under authority, you have to follow authority. I couldn't follow it anymore, so I needed to come out from underneath that. And I think, I like to think that God honored us uh, for that. But one of the things that, that really spoke to me, and, and, and um, I go back to a lot, I had a better relationship with the superintendent than any of the bishops did. Mm. And that's why he said what he said, right. because he took tremendous heat for that. And I think it goes back to relationships, you know, are huge in, in leadership and leading an organization. Okay, so a lot of life lessons. Yeah. A lot of leadership lessons. You can't survive 33 years and right. without learning. Yep. Um, if you were talking to young Dwight, mm -hmm. what would you tell him? He's just starting 33 years ago. Well, I... I, I Sounds I, like a country song. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I knew then what I know now. Yeah. I, I would tell a young Dwight that he needs to get his identity from who he is in Christ. I didn't have that at the beginning. I mean, my, my goal at the beginning was to build a big church and make a name for myself. And, and you ready for this? It was 200 people. <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> that was the goal. Because, because um, uh, um, the denomination that I was in right. was small. Sure. And, and, and so a quick story on that is um, uh, we, we wanted to go to two services, and um, they uh, voted me down. And I came home, and I'd only been married. I pastored four and a half years being single. Um, I came home to my bride of one year, and I told her, I said, pack your bags. We're leaving. I said, I don't have time to put up with this nonsense. <laughs> And that's when God wounded me. I call it my Jacob experience. And, and he said, um, uh, this isn't your church. This is my church. These aren't your people. These are my people. This isn't your staff. This is my staff. And nobody can ruin your life except for you. Hmm. And, and if you follow me, then if you need to live to be 150 years old, okay, to fulfill my calling, you will but you have to keep your heart right. And he took me to the story of the 12 spies, right. okay? And, and we all know that a whole generation had to be removed before they could enter the promised land. And, and the two spies was Joshua and Caleb. And so we ended up having a son, and his name is Caleb. And it says of Caleb, he was of a different spirit. Hmm. And, and so that's when I learned the lesson that nobody can ruin my life except for me. And if I... You know, I like to say, if I stay humble, keep my nose clean, um, um, I'm okay. And, and God's going to take care of everything else. And so that really, really freed me up. And that, that put me on a path of being able to say, okay, I'm not what I do. 
I'm who God says I am. And so that's helped me with rejection. That's helped me with conflict. And that's helped me to stay engaged with people who, you know, maybe were a little bit hostile towards me uh, because it, it allows me not to take it as personal. Does it hurt? Absolutely it hurts. You know, I'm human, okay? But it brings me back to the center point. I mean, nobody experienced rejection more than Jesus. Nobody tried to get him off of his purpose uh, 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 more. I mean, People tried to get him off of his purpose constantly, and he would come back, you know, at rejection and all that. And so to me, I read things this morning. I read things every single morning, Phil, that lets me know who I am and that, that it's not what I do that defines me. Okay, I'm going to have good days. I'm going to have bad days. We're going to have good months. We're going to have bad months. We're going to have good years. We're going to have tough years. And that doesn't determine who I am. And that there's a freedom there. So I tell everybody... Uh, uh, work on yourself. You know, we, we, we say, <clears throat> and I understand this, Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven uh, Life, okay? And I'm, I, I mean, I've learned a ton from him, okay? And stole a lot from him, okay? Everybody has. <laughs> but in his first book, he says, it's not about you. And what I want to say is, oh, it's all about me. <laughs> and if I don't deal with Dwight first, It'll never be about you right? because I will try to manipulate you. I'll try to control you. I'll try to get what I feel that I need to prove that I am who I want to be. And so, you know, you've flown a ton. And so what happens when you get on an airplane, okay, and, and the flight attendant comes and says, if we would happen to lose altitude, <laughs> okay, there's going to be a mask that's going to drop. And they do not say, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to look around and the people that you care about most, I want you to put the mask on. Right. No, they say first put the mask on yourself so that you are in position to put your mask on other people. And and that's what I would say. Hardest person I lead is me. Uh, D-Hawk, he's out of Harvard. Um, he says that 50% of your time should be spent on yourself. Hmm. 50% of your time on yourself uh, 25% on your time horizontally, 20% of your time, the people who's leading you, and 5% of the time of the people that you're leading. Huh. And, and so I would say work on yourself. Right. Work, work, get your, get, you know, I have insecurities, I have hurts, I have all of that. And so I've really tried to process that and work through that and have a healthy approach to that. And so that's what I would say because if, if, the best version of Dwight is the best gift I can give to the church or to my family or to anybody. Last segment, and uh, this one is, is personal for you, and I, I asked you if you were comfortable having a conversation because you mentioned Caleb. Yeah. And Caleb ministers at one of your campuses. Right. He did a residency out in Arizona with our friend Papa Don. Yep. You know, Wilson, yep. Yep. a sharp kid. He's back in Coshocton working mm -hmm. at that campus, and a tragedy happens. Right. And in light of what's just happened this year with the coach at Syracuse who tragically hits a man on the interstate mm -hmm. and kills him, it brought Caleb to my mind in this story. And one of the things I want our, our listeners to know is that all the glitters is not gold. You're, you're senior pastor of a growing church. You've been here, had a thriving ministry. You can still have crisis. Right. And leading through that crisis— 
And so tell, tell the story of, of Caleb and what your family, yeah. the journey you've been on. Well, um, uh, Caleb uh, was living with uh, his mom and I, um, and so he was driving to Coshocton, which is about 30 minutes back roads. Um, I'm at home, and I get a phone call somewhere between 6.15 and 6.30, and I've got a young man crying on the phone. And he said, um, Dad, I just hit somebody, and I don't know what to do. And I told him, I said, um, where are you? And he told me where he was, and I said, I'll be right there. And so um, Patty and I jumped in the car, and, and we went to the scene, and um, uh, the sheriff was there. Sheriff said, uh, Mr. Mason, I just want you to know this is a bad accident. It's really nobody's fault. And what happened was Caleb was coming down a hill, and, and there was like a bend in the, in the turn, and there was a young Amish boy about 15 years old on a bike and um, dressed in black, and, and uh, he hit him. And uh, uh, they life-flighted him to Columbus. And so, you know, I, I was there with Caleb and hugged Caleb and prayed with Caleb, and I just felt nudged by God, you need to go to Columbus, and didn't want to. It was another one of those fear things. And, and, and so, you know, his, him and his mom uh, went back to the house, and I drove to Columbus, and I, um, I got there, and I got the wrong name. They said that their name was Raber. And it was really Yoder. And so I went to the desk and I said, you know, has somebody come here from the Coshocton area named Raber? And they said, no. And, and I said, well, I was told that they were life flighted here. And she said, well, you can go to the emergency room. And she told me how to get there. And so I started walking towards the emergency room and I saw a, um, an Amish couple walking up. Um, and, and they were with uh, an employee from the hospital. And I thought, okay, this is them. And so, so you know, as I was driving to Columbus, uh, this has happened a little bit before, you know, I felt God told me, he said, you need to be the father to Caleb that I've been to you. Mm. And so you need to go represent him. You need to be there. And so I, first words out of my mouth to this couple was, I'm Caleb's father. And I am so, so sorry. And, and uh, I told him, I said, you know, um, I don't have words to say. I just hurt, and I know that you hurt. And how can I help? And so um, I prayed with them and then felt like I needed to give them space. So I went to, I went to the, uh, um, the lobby area, and probably after, you know, I don't know, 90 minutes, um, a chaplain came down and said, you know, how can I help you? And I said, well, I said, you know, I don't think there's anything that you can do for me, but I said, I'm concerned about Ray and Amanda, and that was the parents. And I said, you know, I just want them to know, I don't want to get in their way, but I want them to know that I, I am so sorry. No, I can't change anything, but I'm willing to help, whatever. So probably about uh, 15 to 30 minutes later, Ray and Amanda came down. And they've taught me so much. One of the things that we do at our house 
um, at at the at Christmas or at the beginning of the year, you know, one of the things that we ask, so who's impacted your life the most this past year? And, you know, my, um, I said, Ray and Amanda. And, and when she came down, she said, she said, um, Dwight, she and they didn't know who I was. That's what I it was, because I remember parts of the story that not knowing Dwight Mason New Point Church in this area, for most people would be a little unusual, but Amish are pretty insular. Right. And so they had no idea. They didn't know who I was. Yeah. They had no idea who I was. And, I, and, and she said, you know, this is a bad accident and God is good. Hmm. And your family's hurting and our family is hurting. And I thought, wow, you've got to be kidding me. And, and so um, um, I prayed and, and, and told him, I said, hey, I'll be in touch. And, and we knew then that Robert wasn't going to make it. And, and so what happened is we came back, and that was a Wednesday. And he ended up dying the next day. And so the Amish, they, they want to have their, their deceased quick. And so that night, Patty and Caleb and I, or yeah, Patty and Caleb and I went to their house. And um, um, we, you know, of course told him, hey, we are so sorry, prayed with him. That's one of those times that Caleb said, my fear was bigger than the reality. The next day, and, and, and in the midst of all of this, my daughter's getting married. I forgot that part. I forgot that part. Yeah, she's getting married. And, and, and so, um, you know, one of the things that God spoke to me was, um, I'm asking you to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and so I knew that, that um, I was going to set the tone for the whole weekend. And um, so the next day on Friday, Friday um, um, was viewing. And so Patty and, and Sarah and everybody was setting up here. And, and um, Caleb and I was going to go to the viewing. And so I, I came into the building, and um, I'm a little bit whacked, but not totally whacked. <laughs> um, but um, I, I walked into the um, auditorium, and I started yelling and acting stupid and, you know, all this craziness. And, and I got home, and my wife said, that wasn't necessary. <laughs> and, and she said, um, she said, you know, I, I, I don't think that was appropriate. And I told her, I said, I totally disagree with you. And I said, here's what the Lord told me. I'm supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And I said, I'm not going to let my daughter's most important day of her life, per se, um, be defined by this. And I said, I want her to know that I'm celebrating and I'm rejoicing and we're going to have an incredible time in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, because she was hurting for her brother, right. okay, and all the other things. And so, um, um, you know, Patty said, okay. And, and so um, uh, what we ended up doing is we ended up having um, a wedding on that Saturday. And, and I only dance Phil in the living room. <laughs> but on that day, I danced for everybody to see because again, you know, they, they, you know, how they do it at weddings, they announce, you right. know, the wedding party and they announce Mr. and Mrs. Mason. I just took off and you would have thought I was drunk. 
And it was so uncomfortable for me because that's just not who I am. Right. But I wanted to set the tone for um, our son, Caleb, because he was hurting. But, you know, he also knew the impact that this was having on his sister and just for the whole family and for everybody at the, uh, the wedding. And, um, you know, I think if you would talk to people, the wedding was phenomenal. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of joy, all of that. And, and it, there wasn't a cloud over the wedding. You know what I mean? Right. It was like for a moment, everybody was in a different world, different place and all of that. And, and then um, um, uh, Sunday morning, um, our family went to the funeral. And we were, we were basically the only English people there. And, and one of the things that, that I was told, I didn't know, but they, Ray and Amanda, Ray and Amanda um, uh, didn't tell us this, but people who knew them, that it was an incredible experience for them because, you know, there's a lot of Amish people who get hit and, and killed along the road. Wow. You know, just right. across. And, and there's not that connection. And again, I talked about staying engaged and being engaged. We felt, no, this is our responsibility. We're right. going to do that. So, so we went to the funeral. We ate the meal with them. We went to the gravesite and buried, the, and we did all of that. And now um, we're friends. Uh, we, we, we've gone to breakfast together. We've had dinner together. Uh, the the one-year anniversary, we were at their house. Um, their little girl was in a, a play at their school. She asked if we would come. And, and, and so, you know, I called Ray and Amanda um, on Robert's birthday because it's the same as Sarah's. And I said, you know, I really don't have words to say. I just want you to know I'm thinking of you and praying for you. And, 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 and these people know Jesus. Mm. I mean, they know Jesus. They're still in their buggy. They're still in all, but they know Jesus. And, and I just said, hey, you know, I just want you to know we're thinking of you and we care about you and um, we're praying for you. And, you know, I'm just sorry. And, and she said these words. She said, Dwight, we're not thinking about the loss that we experienced. We're thinking about what we've gained through this experience. Wow. And we've gained your friendship. Wow. That's what I said. I just, it just, it, it brings me to tears even today. And so it, it's, it's something that, you know, Caleb would tell you today that um, his life is forever changed. He said, Dad, there's not a time I don't walk into a room or I don't walk down a street and I see people and I ask myself, so what has happened in your life that nobody knows? Wow. Because I've killed somebody mm. and you don't know that. And, you know, he just said it's made him more tender, compassionate. So it's been a, a rough way. But the other thing that I felt like God was asking me to do is not only be the father to him that, that God had been to me. So how do you grieve? And I think the most powerful thing of a pastor or a leader of a church is an example. The most powerful thing is an example. More is caught than taught. And so everybody was watching us. Um, so how are you going to handle this? How are you going to walk through? The staff was. And, and um, you know, I, I ended up preaching. Um, and so we did video at all the campuses. I preached that Sunday. And... And I had the staff pray for me. I said, this is going to probably be one of the hardest things I've ever done. And so I invited people. We invited people. We didn't stay away from people. You know, uh, when Patty told me, when she said she felt that that was inappropriate, 
I, I said, well, then people don't know me. Because I said, if they've been around me, they know my heart is aching. But I also got my only daughter getting right. married, and I'm proud of her, and she's marrying a great man, and I want to be able to celebrate in that. And so I, I think that everybody's watching us because, you know, from a distance, especially if you're pastoring a, a larger church, people think that you constantly have your act together and that, that you're untouchable and that, you know, you have this whatever. No, you hurt, you cry, you experience all of that. And the question is, so how are you going to handle it? How are you going to process it? How are you going to walk through it? And I think it's those times that is louder um, than any message that I've ever preached. Or I think it's an incredible story regardless, but when you throw in the nuance of the Amish family, yeah, you know, with the English mega pastor yeah. dynamic, and there are two things you told me I remember. One is at some point Amanda figured out or somebody told her that your daughter was getting married. Right, absolutely, yeah. And, and, and she told you, yeah, we, 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 it was at the calling hours. Right. I forgot about that. We, we were at the calling hours, which would have been uh, Friday. Okay. And, and, and she said, uh, we learned that your daughter um, uh, is getting married, and we want you to go and rejoice and be happy with her. You can't, you can't hear that from somebody who is at a viewing, and their son their is in a casket. son is in a casket. Yeah. And say those words, are you kidding me? Where does that come from? You know, and, and she said, we, we, you have the freedom. We give you permission to be able to go and do that. And it just blows me away. I have a friend, Albert, in California, and he always talks about, he's an African-American and very diverse church, and he talks about you can't integrate Sunday until you integrate Saturday. Wow. So it's like, in, his, in his phrase, who do you do life with? Yeah, yeah. And, and which means different. And so this is not a racial component with the Amish, but it's culturally. Uh, yeah. And because and you also have led them astray and introduced something to them, this, this basketball in their home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell, tell me about that. Well, what, 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 I mean, of course, you know, they're, they're more old, old order Amish. And so when they came and they visited us, you know, I, I, we have a television and, and, um, and I just mentioned it and, 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 He's, you know, basically let me know, hey, we would prefer if that would remain off. I said, absolutely. So we, we have, a, we have a, uh, uh, a family room, and um, we went in there after we got done eating, and um, I've got three boys, and they put up a basketball hoop in there. And, and, and so uh, um, Ray and Amanda's kids, uh, you know, we got the ball out and they started shooting baskets in, in a house. And I don't know if they thought it was okay or not. I said, <laughs> it's okay. I said, everything here is, is okay if it gets broken. I said, we don't care about that. And so what happened is the, the next time we were at their house, they had a, a, a basketball hoop attached to their door in their kitchen. And I said to Ray and Amanda, oh, my lands, you're already picking up bad habits. But it was a great, I mean, we just laughed and had a great time. And, and um, you know, it's just, uh, it's one of those things that, that God just brings good out. And I experienced a level of God's grace that I'd never experienced before. Amazing story. Um, 
it, it's one thing if you had just taken the steps of reconciliation, got over your fears, gone to the, sh the viewing, gone to the funeral. But I know from talking to you, you've, everything you've just shared with us, but you've done others like Patty's had breakfast oh, yeah. with, with Amanda. You've done things with, with the dad. Right. I mean, that's, that has got to be an example to your church, your staff, not just in a tragedy, but how do you build bridges and relationships with people that are very different? Right. Yeah. And, and it comes back to just caring for people and respecting people. And every time I see Ray and Amanda or they talk to me, one of the first words out of their mouth, how's Caleb? Wow. How's Caleb doing? Wow. And so it, it's just been a great, great um, learning experience. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome, man. You're one of my favorite well, thanks. People. You're 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 right there with me too, buddy. It's. Uh, I told my son this morning we were getting breakfast at the Amish place. I said, "This is where I. <laughs> this is where I meet Dwight. We have Amish chicken." There you go. Absolutely. We come out. I think it is. There's a booth back in the left corner. I think right. is, is your office. I, absolutely. And yep. Yep. I've helped paid for that restaurant. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. God bless you, man. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Giving Leader. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation. One of my favorite people, Dwight Mason, in the ministry there in Northeast Ohio. And I really appreciate you listening and telling your friends.